you know what's really sad about this whole George Floyd situation? In my 20 plus years, I could never imagine this much people, black and non-black, caring so much about George Floyd dying. About a 40-year-old black person getting killed by the police? Come on. This, this has been going on for so long that it's, it's literally shocking that people actually care about it. Like, could you imagine for a second a 25-year-old white girl, a video of them being choked out the police till they die? Could you imagine the absolute insane riots that would happen and come from that? That's what's going on with George Floyd right now. It's it, it's insane. And, you know, a lot of people are listening. Well, of course, we're upset. But really, this has been going on for so long. Like Eric Garner basically died the same way. And I don't even think his police officers were convicted. I saw this one picture that was so uh, telling. And it was a picture of Michael Vick. The amount of days that he did in jail, I think it was like over 400 days he did in a jail or prison for killing dogs. And that amount of time was more than all the cops that got charged for killing black people. Because it's impossible to convict them. It, it, it really is. Um, so in this little podcast thing I have here, this little platform, um, I just want to talk about like kind of the systematic things that happen within the black community um, from a very uneducated investor standpoint. You know, I wanted to really talk about just how systematic racism causes a racial wealth gap. I think that's one of the things that I'm really interested in because, of course, you know, I'm an economics major. You know, I'm trying to climb through the corporate ladder. You know, I'm investing on the side. And, you know, I'm always curious on, like, how being black affects my career prospects and my actual ability to make income in the future. <clears throat> so the first way that systematic racism really affects you is on the job application. You know, a lot of people have seen this study. Basically, there's a study. It's like uh, Jamal and Keisha, are they employable as like Karen and Mark or something like that? And basically what this study goes over and says that if you have a black sounding name, you are less likely to get hired just off of the resume alone. And having a black sounding name is the equivalent of a white person having a tattoo on their job prospects, right? Having a very visible tattoo, one that you can see even if you're wearing a button shirt. It's about the same. And it's about the same as a white person having a criminal record, getting a job. That's So if you're white and you have a criminal record, your job prospects are the same as a black person without a criminal record. This is what findings are finding. Absolutely crazy shocking. Um, the second thing on you know how being black really affects just making wealth is <clears throat> we all, well, a lot of us have heard this stat that really sticks out in our mind. Um, you know, right now, white people have 10 times the wealth of black people. And a lot of people hear that stat, but they never really look into it on why that's happening. Happens. And it's happened by design. 
you know, there's a great movie on Netflix called The 13th. And what The 13th does, it shows how from slavery times, what systematic laws and systems have put put in place to scrape wealth from the black community and have it transferred into the white community. And it goes over things like, um, you know, how the police force was literally created directly after, you know, slavery is done. It goes over Jim Crow laws and how like segregation would take taxes from the black community and not even put it into the black community. Um, there's things like, you know, the cake rise of the KKK in the 1910s um, after the world war, which just decimated multiple black cities that were profitable. Think about black wall street and Tesla, Oklahoma. Was it Tulsi Tesla? I can't even say the name right. Um, then it goes over, you know, redlining and redlining was crazy because Basically, they were trying to get it was legal to discriminate and not sell houses to black people. It, it was legal. And it was so ingrained in the system that after World War II, a lot of black people fought in it. And because you're a veteran, if you're a white, you could get these low interest loans. You know, black people weren't as fortunate. They weren't able to get this type of financing. Um, and now we have, you know, the 13th Amendment in the States which you know says slavery is illegal except if you are a criminal and of course black people has more people in jail per capita than China. China. How crazy is that? China has the Uyghurs or whatever they're called. They're literally like doing some like incarceration camp type relearning education camp imprisoning their own people. But America's worse to black people. That's that's like such an insane thing like we always like to rag on China about how terrible they are to their citizens. But statistically, America's worse to black people. I think that's an insane thing. Um, the next thing I want to talk about when it comes to systematic race, and yo, this is crazy because I'm just going off the top of my head. Like, I don't even have anything written down, <laughs> which is how much, like, I just have to think about this as I try to climb the corporate ladder in my, you know, working world. Um, <clears throat> is the illusion of merit. Now, notice I say illusion, you know, when systematic racism is there to oppress black people, it can only be lifted through systematic actions and systematic um, reform, right? You have to put systems in place to lift black people out. Now, one of those most um, controversial ways is affirmative action. And it's the only reason that it's really controversial is because they want you to think that. You see, affirmative action, basically the main ways it's implemented is giving government contracts to black businesses, and it also helps people get in school. And after affirmative action was placed, people were like, you know, people who are the best fitted for this job should always get it. Race should never come into the contact. Now, when you look at who affirmative action has really impacted and helped since the 60s, 70s, it's mostly been white women and not really black people. Black people to some extent, but not necessarily the same effect as white women. Um, you know, you look in your office today and you see white women managers and you see white women on your executive team and you never question it. 
Of course, they have a ceiling. You know, there's not a lot of women CEOs, but if you look at some layers below there, they are extremely more ahead than their, you know, black people counterparts. Now, this illusion of merit can all be explained. Merit, merit and meritocracy just means the best person who's fitted for a job or position gets it. The illusion is we know that's not how the world works. You see, to move up in an organization is all about politics. Think about it. The literal president of the United States is a politician, right? That's how it works. You get promoted and placed based on the relationships that you have. That's that's the way true promotion within the workplace works. Because when you really think about it, the top 10% of people can basically do the job. And knowing which one of those top 10% of any sort of pool of workers or any sort of pool employees, knowing which top 10% of those workers will be best fitted for the job is a completely subjective process. You see, the, the, the task of hiring someone that can contribute to an organization, but there's a reason why companies fire people because it even through vetting someone through your organization and getting them to your place, you still don't know if they're going to contribute the way that you thought they were. And that's why places fire people and have, um, you know, probation periods and whatnot. So when people say that, you know, is a black person fit for that job? It's like saying, is there a woman that can be a, an accountant or a tech person or the, like, obviously, of course, like, but they never take an account for this one word um, called nepotism that favors, you know, the majority population, which is white people. And the way nepotism works is this. We look at our most prestigious schools, you know, the Ivy League, think of your Harvards, you know. These schools, 20% of their admissions are literally from alumni students, or like, like, you know how crazy that is? You know how crazy that is? 20%? One in five? These schools literally say no to hundreds of applications with people with 99% of averages, people who are you know, captain of their university clubs, people who are like the president and, you know, founders of their, their, their big high school clubs, people who are really involved, really like these Ivy League schools have so much applications. They have to say no to a plethora of people. But 20% of their kids are alumni. How is that even possible? That's what nepotism looks like. You see, when you have relationships or when someone looks like you and is able to relate to you, you will get promoted into those positions more than someone who you are not familiar with. So where black people have a lot of black friends, there is a lot of white people out there who have no black friends. So when they're in the office place and they're trying to relate to a black employee, it just doesn't happen the same way. I mean, my boy over here, he likes hockey. He likes golf. We talk about a few brewskis. We talk about going up north and camping. 
black people don't even camp you know like like there's a lot of cultural experiences that white people share with each other and because of that it makes sense when they um have relationships with each other and you know form friendships more naturally than they would with someone who's non-white especially white people who grew up in an area that doesn't have a lot of black people it it makes sense there's nothing inherently racist about it but this is how prejudices form so when it comes to the person that you end up promoting for a position guess what it comes down to it comes down to gut feel i just like him there's something about his personality that's a lot of times what it comes down to and it comes down to, you know, back to that 10 to 1 generational wealth where white people have 10 times the amount of wealth as black people. You know how much uncles or friends of friends or mom's friend, like, you know how much of those people are SVPs, CEOs, like the network opportunities that white people have as an advantage over black people is absolutely insane. I don't know any SVPs in my family. I don't know any friends of friends who are vice presidents. It just it just doesn't work that way. And when you come from that place and, and think, remind you, I have 13 aunts and uncles. I just want to put that out there. Like I got a huge family. I got some more cousins than I would even know how to count. And all of them relatively living close to me too. And even with that much family, I still don't know any people who are that advanced in the corporate world within my family. So when it comes to me networking and me knowing what to expect going to an office job and me having mentors around me, um, it's just not it's just not there. It's just not there. Um, So those are the type of glass ceilings that black people really hit. And the biggest one is nepotism. Sure, you might be able to beat the odds and with an ethnic sounding name you get the job the first spot then when it comes to moving up and creating relationships within your organization you better have the most naturally loving the most hardest networking skills ever because to become actual friends with people in your workplace with the people who are having the conversations behind doors and saying yo that person that person flies to be there he's a great worker to build those relationships within your within your organization that is another task upon itself and that's one of the big reasons why you know generational wealth is not necessarily in the black community the same way now, of course, this is very specific. Um, if you really think about it, redlining to this day or segregation to this day is like just absolute destroying, like especially the school system in the States. Like like I could I could really go into that in an, in its own nutshell. But me, I live in Canada right now, even though I have family in the States. I live in Canada right now and living in Canada, being in a corporate job, those are the media things that affect me within the workplace. And when you have a minority group that has literally 10% of the wealth as everyone else, you get situations like George Floyd where, think about it, right? When it comes to the police targeting minorities, it is so much easier to get an arrest on a minority than it is on someone who's white, and the reason is there's just less minorities. There, there just is. There's only 13% of black people in the States compared to the 60, 70% of white people. So when you have someone who's a minority, 
and you have a description where they're five, eight to six foot, you know the minority areas in your town. You know where the minorities are because of segregation. You're a cop. You're looking for a description. You go straight to the minority place and you rough a couple people up until you find that person. And if you don't, you just arrest someone because they have 10% less wealth. That's that's literally like only a 10% chance of them having you know the same lawyer connections as white people, the same political connections as white people. You mess up someone who's upper middle class and rough them up in the police. Oh, you better be hopeful that he doesn't know any politicians. Hopefully he doesn't know the police chief or anyone high up on the force. You better be hopefully he doesn't know any people who are working as city council. Because if he does, that's your job. It's a lawsuit. But when you don't have economic power, um, it's easier to get away with these things time and time again. So there's a bunch of things that I think is phenomenal that's coming out of this. Obama just put out his Campaign Zero project, which is a 10 policy connected to stats, connected to statistics, 10 policies on how to fix policing in the United States like today. So amazing. Um, I think couple things need to change. Um, the problem with policing really in the States um, is the fact, and I know I'm all over the place, but, you know, obviously the stuff's been on my mind. I just want to rant a little bit, you know, get a little stuff off my chest a bit. But, you know, the problem with policing um, in the States is to really affect change, especially on a policing level, it's on the local level, right? Nobody pays attention to local politics, a matter of fact, it's just become a harder to access that information. You know, where are these local meetings? Where is the city hall? What's happening? How do I get involved? What organizations do I join? You know, it takes a lot of research really just to get in the door of like where to look to get involved with local politics and what's happening in your local community. It It's really hard to just get in the door of how to get involved there. So... On the local level, going to these meetings, seeing who's you know the politicians are, seeing what's advocate being advocated for, and getting the people in place that are advocating for the things that you want changed in your community is definitely a must. That's that's one of the first things. Um, the second thing is on the federal level, you know everyone pays more attention to federal politics. It's way easier to follow the entertainments all around. Um, on the federal level, I think there's only one way to really go about this. You got to implement to UBI, universal basic income. And that's the reason, one of the reasons I was really attracted to Andrew Yang and his platform. And it's because UBI just makes sense. You put economic power into the people's hands. And with economic power, their voice is going to be heard. In the United States, money is equal to speech. So guess what happens when you have more money? There's going to be a whole hell of a lot more speech. So UBI, of course, you know, I've done a bunch of podcasts about it. If you haven't heard about it, basically, Andrew Yang's policies, everyone in the States that's black or white, that's rich or poor, gets around $1,000 every month. That's twelve grand a year. That is the basic essential amount um, just to live off of. It's a guaranteed minimum income. That's basically what um, Martin Luther King was going for when he got shot. He's trying to get economic power and, can, you know, put all of the workers under the same uh, movement and people couldn't have that. So they obviously they killed him. Um, but yeah, this has been an old tested time. Alaska does it right now. They call it the oil dividend. Everyone in Alaska gets money 
So I think this is one of the things that could help not only black people, but just everyone in general. And of course, the 1%, the 10%, they can still get $1,000. Who cares? But if everyone else gets it, it helps them out a lot better. And the 10, top 10%, um, you can basically change taxes a bit. So they'll basically pay it back through through a value-added tax. Anyways, I've said a lot. Um, I know you've been thinking about that. A lot of people there, especially people who are listening to this, who are non-white, maybe you learned something about the black experience. You know, of course, I could go on in hours and talk about, you know, different studies I've seen, you know, even the blue and uh, blue and brown eye experiment. You can watch that on YouTube by Jane Elliott. Um, You know, I could just talk about so much, but I think just the conversation being started about it and being finally comfortable where everyone can share their stuff. um, Everyone can actually have a, you know, the crazy thing is like in this climate right now, me going and talking about pro-black stuff online or anything Black Lives Matter related online is like a death sentence. You know, it's, it's like talking about politics um, online. It's, it's very hard when you have a political, strong political opinion to not get hit in, you know, your corporate ladder. And unfortunately, what happened with the black people is being black turned into a political opinion. So it's cool for me to mention stuff about being Jamaican, but as soon as you start mentioning stuff about being a black, it's a political opinion. Your workplace will frown very poorly on that. But now we're in a place where, you know, it's no longer a polarized thing to say that we need police reform. And that's a great place to be. Anyways, as always, the best, most brightest investors, there are the uneducated ones. That's because the uneducated investor, they never stop learning. If you like this podcast, feel free to follow me on Fly st- on Twitter to continue the conversations at Flystew on Twitter. And of course, leave a five-star review on your Apple iPhone. Just click the podcast, scroll down to where you see five stars. Hit the five stars. It helps the algorithm so much. And we, Flight Crew, we will see you next time.